everyone. Welcome back to Millennial Teacher Podcast. My name is Shakira Langley. And again, we're talking all things education through the eyes of young millennial teachers. And today I have a mister today, which I'm so excited about because I never, ever interview male educators. So Bobby Morgan, thank you for joining. And if you could just introduce yourself, your platform, and then we could just jump in. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so first, it's an honor uh, to be here. Um, you said, I'm, I'm, you know, you don't have many males, so I'm glad to be here oh, uh, so far. All right. <laughs> all right. Let's, let's, let's trailblaze it. Let's make it, you know, so more, more can tap in. Um, but yeah, my name is Bobby Morgan. I am uh, an educator based in New Jersey. Uh, I have been an educator for the last 12 plus years now, uh, teach primarily middle school math, uh, has been my experience. I am, um, Husband of one, father of two, and uh, you know my son. Uh, his birthday is actually uh, Wednesday this week. He'll be ten, and uh, my daughter Giselle. Uh, she will. She's seven, going on twenty-one. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I mentioned that because it makes me a far better educator mm-hmm. having to do that work at home as well. Right. Um, and so, yeah, I'm the founder of Liberation Lab, an educational consulting. Uh, firm. Um, we are definitely passionate about creating more equitable and uh, culturally sustaining schools. And so we do that through workshops, professional development, um, and, and just meaningful st- strategic planning. And so um, I've been doing that for the last year now, and I've seen some major, uh, major things happen. And so I'm fortunate to be in this space and, and glad to be here talking to you. Yes. Oh my gosh. Your platform. I've been following you for a while and it has grown tremendously. So I guess we can just start there. Why did you call it the Liberation Lab? And what does that even mean in the world of education for those who may not know? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So for me, uh, liberation is, I'll start back with kind of like my origin story. So I started in Camden, New Jersey, uh, Mm -hmm. one of the uh, poorest, uh, voted the most dangerous city to live in, in America, like three years straight. Um, I started there and, uh, at a school, school that would be taken over by KIPP or democracy prep, excuse me, democracy prep in New York. And so when I was there, I was kind of trained in, you know, teach like a champion practices and all these different things. Right. And for me, I, I was just convinced these are going to, this is how I'm going to help my babies, kids that look like me be better. I'm going to police their every move. I'm going to be hyper-vigilant on, do they have a pencil in their hand within 30 seconds of coming in the classroom? Are they sitting upright? Are they, you know, attentive to what it is that I'm saying? Are they raising their hand? If they're not raising their hand, I'm going to make them raise their hand. And, and all these different things that did not provide for any type of nuance. Perhaps the kid does know, but they're an introvert and raising their hand and putting themselves out there is a lot. Right. And there's other ways you can gauge their understanding without having them raise their hand, but that's not what I was trained in. And that's not what I held dear. Right. And so what I found out very quickly was that, well, I don't even say very quickly. I found out eventually that even though I was passionate about giving my students a pathway to success, I became a weaponized version that just looked like them. Wow. So definitely a robot. Oh my gosh. 
definitely police officer trained. Yes. Yeah. And it's crazy that you even said teach like a champion because as soon as you said it, it's like that's the first thing. And in, in any residency program, this is that's like the golden ticket, right? Everything is key. But then you practice these things and then when you see it live out, it's like this is not real life. This is not how I'm supposed to reach a child. But it's it's crazy that I feel like no matter the state, we're all programmed to think this is the ideal teacher and this is how you reach students. So it's mind blowing to hear it from, from South Carolina to Jersey, right? Right, to Jersey. <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. and you think about it, that's that's the model. Mm-hmm. That's that's what, so they take that culture and they kind of imprint it everywhere. And so I'm still working through uh, uh, Dr. Chris Emden's book, Ratchetemic. Yes, in it, amazing. Phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Uh, in it, he talks about the, you know, how the idea of choice, right? And how, you know, he was he was trying to buy a bed and then he went to a local spot to get his bed because it was worn out and he's trying to get a new bed. He finally gets it. But he, when he goes there, they didn't have a whole lot of inventory. So he buys the bed and it kind of wears out pretty quickly. But what they tried to do was package it differently. So we'll bring the bed to you and we'll put it together, but you don't have a lot of choice. Right. And then he uses that to talk about how once he had to get another bed, he went online. There was far more, but he had to put it together himself. He had to take part in his own learning. And that analogy is so key because that's what we were, at least what I was doing was the charter school networks came into, you know, black and brown neighborhoods and said, we're going to be different bring your child here. We're going to give you everything that you need. And so we, we bought in and kids started coming and they wore the uniforms and they better have on the right belt with the right shoes, with the right, and and they better come in silently transitioning because we have to be all about learning here. You can't be a kid. You must grow up because this is what it takes to be successful. And I bought it hook, line and sinker. And I became, you know, they trusted me because I looked like them. Meanwhile, I'm holding the weapon that's used against them. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so for me, that, to bring it back, that's that's the journey that started me on unlearning right. uh, the practices that I held dear. Yeah. And so for me, liberation, it is liberation from and liberation to, right? It's the unlearning piece that's really important. What are the things that I have come to know that I hold dear but really are, you know, they weren't crafted or made for me. Right. And then liberation too is I can create something new, something better, something that is fit for me and my people. And that's, that's what I'm on. And so because we have to practice the unlearning, right? Where do we start? And do you even feel like there's a gateway because it's so deeply rooted and it's still being pushed. Like you have people like you and I who are fighting for the good, but then there's people on top of us, on top of us constantly everywhere, still pushing the same idea of this is what it takes to be successful. So do you even think like there's a way around it? Um, and I know millennials are the one doing the work, but also we have to be realistic too, that good teachers are quitting the field of education daily. So is there a happy medium? Like, where do you, where do you personally see it going? Yeah. I mean, I think 
part of part of the deal with even just our group, like millennials, we're I think the thing that we're known most for is what we stand against, right? And not so much what we stand for. Mm-hmm. And so we can tell you what's wrong quickly. But building something new, building with creativity, something that we desire, that part's a little bit lost on us. Yeah. And if we're really going to be truly like if if ideal world, we're going to create a pathway forward, it's going to take us. <laughs> and this is a hard sell because older generations aren't reaching out to us. Oh, no. It's, to, it's set in stone. Right. That it worked for them. So why can't it work for us? And, it, and you and you better. This is just what you got. You better go ahead and follow suit, right? Mm -hmm. But in ideal world, the older generation partners with us. They lend their wisdom and how they built what it was that they built. Mm -hmm. We lend our critique and our way forward and we build something new together. That's a really hard sell Mm -hmm. because (laughs) there are some of us, even in the millennial camp, Who's like, I'm not doing that because they don't, they're not about really doing anything. They're not about, you know, and we'll critique, but it's like, but like at the end of it, at the end of my life, I don't want to be so known for crying out against injustice that I don't seek to forge any type of justice anywhere. Mm-hmm. And so I want to hold those things in tension. And so for, for us to forge a way forward to so like, think about just the school dynamic, those teachers who have been there 20 30 plus years. Mm -hmm. They have a lot of experience. They have a lot of um, know-how and, and there's things that we can leverage if we're willing to listen. Mm -hmm. It's going to take a lot of humility on both our parts, because I think on our end, we're like, nah, very hard-headed, very stubborn. Yeah. And on their end, they're like, I, I have done this more than you. I've been doing this longer than you've been living. Right. And so Honestly, I don't know if it's going to happen, mm-hmm. but I do know what's worth fighting for. Right, for sure. So as a male in education, what how, there's not a lot of y'all to start with. Let's just no. start there. So how are you all reaching students without the straps that they want you to whip out on these students? A lot of males, they come into education, they want, a lot of the times y'all are called to come scare this child or you're the TA or you're a basketball coach, which is those things are needed in a school. And, you know, that's a whole nother topic for a different day, but where there's hardly little to no male educators. So how are you bringing your light into a world of education where it's so restricted? And I know the younger boys for sure look up to you, but again, there's, there's so many constraints and there's only, but so much you can do. Yeah. I mean, I think going back to that humility piece, I think it's so needed. I think we, as educators, sometimes take things too personally. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes uh, like going back to my first teaching experience, and I wrote about this recently, um, there is, <clears throat> there was a student who I had um, just a great relationship with my first year teaching. Uh, she was phenomenal. Um, you know, she she knew what she wanted. She was going for it. She was driven. And I just wanted to just fan the flame and keep going. Yeah. Right? Um, my second year, though, 
because I moved with that kid, those groups. So I was a seventh grade teacher and then they moved me to eighth grade the next year. Mm -hmm. And so I followed that same group. So I taught them the same, you know, same group the next year. And that year she could not stand me. Like, I don't know what happened. Something changed. Maybe it was part of the practices that I was putting in place and the things that I was doing that she couldn't vibe with. And, you know, that's understandable. But as time went on, you know, you start to investigate, you ask other teachers, you try to sit down with parents, things like that. I realized very quickly that it had nothing to do with me. It had to do with the fact that her mother and her father were divorcing. And so here is a black man who she loved, who was choosing to leave her. Yeah. And so when she came to school, she didn't see me anymore. She saw her father who left her. Wow. I looked like her trauma. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it's not taking those things personally, because if they see me in the classroom, they may not see me at home. Yeah. Um, And realizing that. And that doesn't mean that they you know, because I think that's a, that's a stereotype too, that black males aren't in the household. Like if you measure, if the metrics are that we're in the same household, married and things like that, sure, those numbers make sense. But if we're talking about parental involvement, no, there's a lot of black fathers who are deeply involved in their children's lives. But at the same time, I think there's a lot that happens when you're one, that they've never seen you before. Mm-hmm. Two, it's I don't see you outside of this space. So I don't know how to relate to you. So if I'm passionate about something, I'm passionate about their learning. They may see that as, why are you yelling at me? I'm like, no, I'm not yelling. She's like, I didn't even yell. Like that's just where my voice is. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so it's, it's a lot of feeling out, getting to understand who they are, how they relate to you as a person. And then reaching that group is really a lot of mentoring. Like, I have to be very knowledgeable of the fact or acknowledge the fact that by the time they get to me in seventh grade, they've probably dealt with year after year after year of exclusionary practices. And by the time they get to me, I have to undo a lot to even build that type of trust. Right. And so I have to factor that in from the, from the jump. You were going to say something. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say it's so crazy how, Every little thing affects a child's learning, even as far as what they're dealing with as an adult. I mean, as an eighth grader, you should not have felt the repercussions of her divorce. But in another lens, as a teacher view, we do take our personal life with us, too. And so if we can't be our best selves, we can't be ourselves for our students. But as a black male, um, regardless of what race your teacher was, she's still like you said, she didn't see you. As a little boy who needed her as a teacher, she just saw her trauma. And that it just makes me sad because our kids don't get seen for other issues, even outside of personal reasons, from the stereotypes to the headlines. And it just really makes me sad. And I don't, I don't know. Like in a in a in a perfect world, you know, they could just come to school, be children, and be loved on. But yeah. then that's that's just not how it works. So right, right, right. And you think about the the adultification of black girls. At school, oh yeah, oh yeah. Right. You think about how you know the belief is that they can't have pain. They can't be mm-hmm. kids. They can't. You're strong, you know, right? You're strong. You just just deal with it, right? Mm-hmm. And so you put that same situation in a teacher who does not have a cultural responsive or cultural sustaining lens they're going to look at that kid 
and be like, you just have an attitude problem. Right. You're just like the rest of them. Label them and put them aside instead of having, you know, having that 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 lens is going to say, okay, listen, you you may be dealing with something and it's bigger than me. And yeah. and being able to humble myself in order to say, what is it that's going on and how can I connect with you so that we can, you know, do the work of getting you where you need to be. Right. Oh my gosh. It's so, so deeply rooted. So how do you coach people who come to you trying to bring that liberation, that freedom into the classroom? Like what are your go-to tips? Yeah. Uh, a lot of it is. So my, uh, my friend, Ben Brunt, he's online uh, and teaching grant space. He's, he called the way that I coach heart level coaching. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, I, I love that because for me, what I want to do is first get you to reflect on where you are, right? So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. I'm in the throes of working with the school right now, and they are trying to figure out how they can make their curriculum uh, more culturally responsive. But before you can see it outwardly on your curriculum, you, you have to really investigate, are you seeing the world that way? Yeah. And so we had them, I had them do a lot of, you know, uh, reflective exercises, asking them heart level questions. Like, um, for example, I asked them if I was their good friend, say we were colleagues or whatever, and we just, we hit it off. We were best friends. I worked somewhere else. I recently moved back. And now I'm thinking about sending my kid to a good school. And I ask you about your school. Can I send my kid here? Mm-hmm. What would you say? So they start talking and it was, it was a really good dialogue at first. And then I said, okay, but now and I had them close their eyes. And so now I open your eyes and then I showed them a picture of my kids. And I said, usually when people ask you that question, you think of metrics, you think of numbers, you think of results, mm-hmm. but I want you to see these two black children in front of you. And I'm asking you, what would they have to give up to come here? And for them, that point more than others, when they started you know, responding back to me, that point stuck out to them. Because they never really considered what is it that are that I'm asking black children to give up to be a part of this establishment. Wow. Um, and so I think for for educators who are really trying to be about liberatory practices, it has to be a part of an ongoing work that you're doing with yourself, continuing to reflect. Like yeah. even I, like people think, oh, well, you got it all together. No. there are times because of how I was raised because of understandings that come into the world because of white supremacy because of all these different things that I view the world a certain way and I have to continuously unlearn yeah um and it's not that I think often too like perfectionism kind of stops people because they feel like they have to know it all and be perfect in order to get started and I'm like no imperfectly start right mess up along the way fall forward but start somewhere because it'll never change if we don't actually do something. Right. So I get them to reflect on their practices. From there, after, after we reflect on their practices, they'll see the, the things that they most need. Mm-hmm. And then through some readings, some workshops, looking at curriculum, uh, they can see how this stuff plays out because I want them to begin to see the world differently now. It's almost like being unplugged from the matrix. And now you look at it and you're like, wait a minute, this thing is all around us. And I didn't say it the whole time. Yeah. Yeah, it's been going on this way for the whole time. And now that you know, 
Let's do some work. Let's chip away at it. Your eyes are just open. So just to play devil's advocate, some would, say, some would say that people of color, it is not our job to educate those who don't see the world we see. It is not our job for, for them to open their eyes. So how do you feel about that? Do you feel like that's a very ignorant way of thinking? Or do you feel like, well, hey, no, you need to go get it. Like I got it for me. I have to do some unlearning. I know what kind of world I live in. I know what kind of world my students live in. You need to find that out. Do you feel like that's a, a mm, like, how do you feel like of that way of thinking? Like, is yeah. it our job or is it like, I feel both ways? I, I would not define it as our job. Yeah. Uh, you know, for for folks who do not see it that way, we could choose to say, nah, that's not our job. I'm not going to get involved. Y'all need to figure it out. Yeah. But then we'll also come back and complain about the stuff that they're not doing. Right. And so I hold those things in tension. For me, I don't think it's my job, but I do make it my responsibility because of the work that I want to see happen. Mm -hmm. So if you are on the sidelines and you're trying to figure out the game, right? You're trying to figure out how it's being played and what's going on and, 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 and what to do. I'm not just going to continue to play the game, right? Like sometimes, sometimes we, we treat liberatory work like the black person that don't know how to play spades. <laughs> right. Like how you don't know? You don't know how to play spades? <laughs> oh man. I can't, you know, he don't know how to play spades, you know, right. and we'll, and we'll make a big deal out of it. <laughs> but how about you just teach me how to play spades though? Mm. Right. Like don't, don't mob me for what I don't know. Teach me. Mm -hmm. show me i'm willing to learn if you would just teach me right and so i'm not saying let me go educate the obstinate white person that is completely trying to ridicule but i'm talking about the people who are like in the middle trying to figure it out and need some help absolutely yeah. i got you as long as you're willing to listen learn and grow with me i love that i love that because you know it's like do i fight the good fight or do i just let it sit there so you know i feel like there's there's no that answer is tricky it's so tricky. And, and I'm not saying that somebody's wrong for saying that they're not going to do it. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I can say it is very exhausting professional development year after year, talking about the same single stories and the same stereotype. And to be truthful, we, we visit it one time to mark it off the list. And then it's, you don't come back to it. So it, I feel both ways. It can be exhausting, but I want to see the work get done. Yeah. And, and I think too, like it's, it's frustrating because it's like Groundhog Day. Yeah. Like you, you keep, you keep coming back to it. You keep asking me the same questions. And it's like, I was in, a, I was in a, a school uh, prior to the school I'm at now. And we were really trying, at least they tried to uh, do some work along these lines and trying to put in restorative practices, trying to put in, um, you know, a more culturally responsive lens to what they did. We we're having a conversation. And one of the one of the educators was talking about January 6th and said the words, we don't know if that was racist or not. Hmm. Now, I sat there and I listened to him. Yeah. And I tried to hear everything they tried to say because inside I wanted to be like, what? you know, and go off. Yeah. <laughs> and they were trying to communicate that they feel like sometimes we just throw that word out and we don't really evaluate if something is rooted in that. I feel like that may happen somewhere. Yeah. Someplace. January 6th is not one of those places. 
so I began to unpack how there was a noose on the grounds, mm -hmm. how they were going to hang people. They were specifically looking for minority women when they walked in, AOC and the like, right? The only reason that Mike Pence became a person of interest was because of what Donald Trump said about him. And, and, and as we began to unpack those things, they, they started to, you know, I, I won't say that they agreed with me, but at the end, they didn't really have anything else to say, yeah. right? The reason I bring that up is because when you exist in the space that can look at something so blatant and see it still so differently, it is hard to move forward because as, especially as black people, on top of that, and this is something that I'm really big on. I say this all the time. Liberation doesn't happen without black women, mm -hmm. right? And so I look at my queens sitting there listening to this. And, and if they say exactly what I say, they're going to be labeled the angry black woman. Of course. They're not going to be listened to and they're going to be ostracized. I can say it because I benefit from misogyny. Right. So you'll listen to me differently than you would you know, a black woman. So I, I know, knowing that I'll say something that, and I'll say, listen, I got this, let me step up, let me do this. And then I'm gonna kick it to you after. Right. And that's how we would do it. But in that space, when you see something so differently, it makes it hard to trust. It makes it hard to move forward. And especially us as black people, like which we're, we're trying to get by too. Right. And so we're in this space where we can't even really, like you say, you're passionate about it, but we see something like that so differently. It makes us shrink into ourselves. And we say, nah, I ain't doing that. Exactly. And, and that's exactly what happened. Like it, it really got circumvented because the, the leadership was unwilling to call out or call in. And when you're not willing to do that, then it's just a breeding ground for racism to continuously and oppression to continuously uh, brood. And that's what happened. Wow. It, but I'm, I can't say that I'm surprised, right? Like they just want to touch the surface, but nobody wants to keep digging. And it's a Absolutely. sad reality, but... I am convinced that if you got eyes, you can see, and if you got ears, you can hear. And, right if, you have a, <laughs> and if you have an open mindset, and if you have the nerve to be somebody's educator, you have no choice but to learn how to how to to navigate the world and they live in. And education is beyond standards and data, and I will always stand by that. So if we're not if we're not educating ourselves outside the classroom and bringing it in, then I don't. I don't know why there's teachers, period. But right. that's that's right. a whole other story for another day. <laughs> and if you're not willing to to learn, mm -hmm. right? Like if you're if you ever reach a point as an educator where you feel like you've got it all, you've learned it all, you should quit that day. Yeah. Right? Like you're never willing to learn what you think you already know. Right. And I find that that's what that's the the biggest roadblock to liberation is people feel like they, they already got a handle on it. They've cornered the market on it. And I'm not just saying white people. Yeah, no, all of us, because I feel like educators, we're so sensitive. It's like, I'm the teacher. I know what I'm doing. Who are you to give me feedback? Who are you to make me sit in this professional development? If I want to learn it, I can go get it, but that's not it. And I'm guilty of that. I've been guilty of that and still have to check myself constantly because it's like, you don't have all the answers. Let your coach come in and give you feedback. Who cares if you've been teaching for seven years? And then even like in a space like this where we can come together and talk about the injustices, mm -hmm. it's like, I don't have all the answers. So I'm bringing in people like you to help me as well. So um, I'm grateful for that, that vulnerability. Yeah, I, I posted about that today. I talk about this a lot, like a differentiated liberation, right? And here's what I mean by that. I could, as a black man, say black men are oppressed. 
Mm-hmm. They absolutely are. Uh, I could look at the numbers of black men being murdered by, you know, cops. I could look at, uh, you know, poverty. I could look at what happens in schools and the numbers of suspensions, the school to prison pipeline. And I could be so adamant about liberation for, for black men that I do what often black men do. And we get so fixated on the things that affect us that we don't see that it affects black women that much more. Mm-hmm. Because not only do black women deal with all of that, they also deal with misogyny, yeah. sexism and misogynoir. And so what winds up happening is I think sometimes as we are trying to get free, we so fixate on the things that affect us mm-hmm. that we don't look to our left and right and really see how our liberation is bound together. And so what we'll do is we'll fight for the scraps underneath the table of white supremacy and, and then say, oh no, but I, I gotta get mine. Meanwhile, if we work together, we build a whole new table. Mm. Wow. And, and, and I think that for me, that's, that's the part where it's hard work because it's, it's not quick, right? right? Because I have to look to my left and my right. I have to have conversations with folks about things that I think are really harmful to, to, you know, our way forward. And they have to have conversations with me and they have to give me grace. And, and, but it's the, it's the old adage, right? If you, if you want to go far, go alone. But if, I mean, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Right. And I think that that's, that's something that I'm really big on, especially moving into 2022. How are we moving together? How are we asking the, the, the questions that are necessary for me to be able to see how what I'm fighting for for Black and brown folks is intertwined with what somebody else may be fighting for as well? Because if we don't do that, then I'm going to fight for my freedom in a way that oppresses you because I'm not going to care about what it is you're fighting for. Wow. That's a, that's a mouthful. That's, that's a mouthful. And in so many, so many different layers. I love that. Um, and I love how you said we can all come together and build our own table. Cause I feel like a lot of times we, um, a lot of people play pick me, like they want to do the work, but they also want to be like, well, pick me. Did you, did you not see me? Hey, like I'm doing the same work. Yeah. Why not? But it's like together, like this can be something beautiful. So it's, it's not a competition. Right. And what am I competing for? Right. Right. Like whose eyes do I want to see me? Exactly. Right. And that's the part of work. Like you, we're not doing this for a pat on the back. It's like, it's something that needs to be said and it it's long overdue. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I think, and people will hear that and who may hear this later on and think, oh, but you're talking in real grandiose terms. No, I'm really talking about everyday situations. Yeah. I'm talking about the moments when you are in the staff meeting and a black woman says, Hey, yo, this is, this is what I think. Um, and you go stone silent, even though you agree, but you text her after and say, Hey, you know what? I really appreciate what you had to say. Yeah. Like why not speak up, speak up in the meeting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm talking, I'm talking about little moments of when you as a, a black man are in the room and because you said it, people listen to it, but a black woman said it 10 minutes ago, nobody heard her. Yeah. So maybe instead of taking credit, you say, no, no, that's I actually like, got that from, uh, from her. And matter of fact, uh, can you say what you said again? Cause that was so profound and you give her the stage because you had it right. That's liberation is fought and won in those little moments. Mm-hmm. And we tend to think of grandiose, big, you know, 
moments in time. And yes, those are big and key, but we never change people's minds. We never change people's hearts by just looking for the big moment. Right. It's always those little moments where we can choose to put somebody on that needs to have the stage that we're looking for the chance to collaborate. We're looking for, you know, uh, we haven't felt like we've cornered the market on liberation, mm -hmm. that somebody else could actually do something that maybe we can't do or do it with a different perspective. Right. Right. Um, and I'll, I'll say this, you know, I think I think this even happens in like, so I, I run, you know, education consulting business. And for me, I don't want to just, people can reach out and, and connect with me and I want to do that. And I'm passionate about the work, but I also want to be passionate about who else I'm putting, who else I'm putting on. Right. And so if I get something, I want to be able to, to now say, okay, now let me subcontract with this black woman over here who needs to be heard in these spaces. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I wanted to permeate more than what I say on the gram, but what I do in real life. Yeah. And if, and then also it allows me the opportunity to, to, to pass on money that would have come to me easier because they see a man and they're willing to pay me and they'll pay me well versus the 70, 65 cents they're willing to give to the dollar they're willing to give me. Yeah. Right. Like that's what liberation breathes at is what decisions are you willing to make to put somebody else on who may be right. experiencing this, you know, different types of oppression. And I love how you said it starts small because word of mouth is, is real and, sometimes you can have a huge audience and you may not even reach anybody. And so, so it's just, it's so good to know that you, it might seem small, but it can spread like a wildfire. And I, and I love that. I love that. You said so, so, so much. Do you have any like last minute tips for at, from, from administration to teachers to like, what can we do? I know, like we said, it, it kind of feels like a merry-go-round, but what is your, your, your end-all be-all? <laughs> yeah, I think, I think if this is really going to live and breathe in our schools, if liberation, liberatory practices are really going to live and breathe, then administrators have to be thinking through liberation through a systemic lens. What I mean is, what are our policies and practices that are going to allow our culture and our climate to be formed in liberation? So, when we look at our structure of, uh, for example, DEI work or the equity committee, mm -hmm. sure, it's nice to have a committee, but do they have any power? Can they make any institutional change, right? Um, when you look at the book clubs that you're willing to form, okay, well, what are you going to do with that information? Mm -hmm. Where is it going to, where is it going to be live and breathe? Where's it going to be housed? So, so administrators have to think through through the policies, the practices, the school culture and climate, right? And I think teachers, we can, we can in some ways want to critique our administrators mm -hmm. and that's good and fine and true um, in some ways, but are we willing to do the same for ourselves, right? right? Are we willing to invite other teachers who may know something a little bit differently, have a different cultural um, understanding into our classrooms and ask for their feedback. Am I including who, who did I not call on today? Who was, what, what object or what facet of oppression or white supremacy did I tackle today? Did I push back today because of how I did my, my lesson, how I asked questions, who I centered in my lesson? Um, who didn't I call on? Mm -hmm. Who are the people that 
uh, I had to correct. Why did I have to correct those people versus these people? Yeah. Right. Those types of questions and reflection allow us to make it live and breathe in our um, in our classrooms. But the last thing I think I'd say is liberation can't just breathe in our schools without being connected to the community that we are in. And I think often we we want we want parents involved when the kids are acting trifling. Okay. <laughs> All right. And we want them. Cool. But what vision for a preferred future are you casting for your parents so that they can be involved, not just when things go wrong, right? Because we want parents to exist like the, you know, in a case of emergency, break this glass kind of deal. Yeah. But I need you more than that. I need you involved in 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 how liberation moves in our community. How are we connecting to uh, community activists and the like so that as one part of the spoke of the wheel is schools, when the kids leave, they're still seeing it embedded in all different facets of their life. And so it's a lot of work, but it's it's so much better if we're working together. Yes, I love that. Oh my gosh. As you were talking, I'm literally thinking like, did I? Not calling somebody today that I shouldn't have done. I'm like I'm checking my own self, and and I think that's the beauty of education and and educators. Like we're here to learn, and so thank you for educating me. Like, and I feel like uh, um, it needs to be said that just because you are a minority, that uh, that does not mean you know everything about liberation and how to reach (laughs) and how to reach and how to teach. And so I just thank you for your words of wisdom, and I'm excited, y'all. Please turn into the Liberation Lab because. Every day you have some insight. And so I thank you for listening Absolutely. and joining me. Listen, we got to get you on free speech soon. Yes, let me know when. 